and I've always thought my entire career is like working with adult cooks is the best thing for you. It makes you better. No one is available to take your call. Please leave a message. That's today's guest, Chef Spencer Watts. And of course, a great convo with him coming up in just a few moments. And uh, I'm Adam Hurd, and this is my podcast, Blood, Sweat, and Tongs. Welcome to it. I feel like the state of the world has got me paranoid. I'm not usually a paranoid guy, but uh, I was at the drive-thru, going to get a coffee, and uh, there was a car wash kind of back out of my view, not very far away, just a handful of feet away at the gas station, kind of adjacent to the the, uh, coffee shop. And the car wash, I guess, opened up and it started. And it sounded kind of like a, a, a big alarm turbine engine. It kind of goes, sorry if that hurts your ears. And I'm not really good at making cool noises with my mouth. But <laughs> anyway, that happened. And immediately I felt a little bit of panic. I thought it was like an air raid siren. And just in that second, I'm like, do we have those? Is that still a thing? I know like in World War II, there was air raid sirens like all over the place and cities and, you know, we're not really in a bomb zone. And I'm not kidding. That was my first instinctual thought was, is that an air raid siren? Because that's that's kind of how it came on. And it was sort of abrupt and big. And I looked around and like I said, it was back out of my view. I couldn't see it. And I thought, what the hell? What's going on now? But, uh, yeah, it was somebody getting their car washed. So no big deal. Don't panic. (laughs) But I'm really kind of, you know, you've got that latent anxiety just hanging around. But I didn't realize it was that bad. I didn't realize I was in this state of psychosis, this paranoid, delusional psychosis that I'm in that if I hear a sound that sounds like an alarm, I assume that there's some major world catastrophe and that we have air raid sirens. I don't know if we have those. Wouldn't make sense because like in a big city, you'd have to have, I don't know, 6,000 of them or something. Do you have air raid sirens in your city? Do you know? Something to look up. Maybe should you be listening for that? I don't know. Shit's crazy this year though. So how are things in your neck of the woods? I find it really bizarre Because I talk to people all over the world, different regions, Canada, U.S., Europe, Asia, and it's really weird how different things are. You know, kind of overall, there's restrictions. Everyone's wearing masks and there's hand sanitizer. But the level of lockdown really differs. Even here, it's region to region. I can go... Oh, there's my cell phone. I thought I turned that off. (laughs) sorry I'd edit that out but this is real life okay cell phone goes off so so I can go 20 minutes you know from where I live and there's different there's a different level of lockdown right so their restaurants are allowed to have double the amount of people that ours are for eating actually I can go 45 minutes in the other direction and they're not allowing people to eat in the restaurants at all which seems kind of absurd to me. If this is the thing, lock it down until you can open it up. Don't, you know, 
don't compartmentalize it into this little area and this little area next to here. You can have a few more people in this. It just seems way overly complicated to me. But I'm not on the inside. I'm not on the board of whatever board makes the decisions. I just think it's weird and overly complicated. So how are things in your area? Can you go to a restaurant and eat inside and take your mask down? Do you have to put it on to go to the bathroom? Because I feel like that's weird. I always feel weird like I got to wear a mask just to go from my table 30 feet to the bathroom. Or are you going to restaurants at all? I know there's some people that I know personally said until this is all over, they're not doing that. They're just not doing it. Not worth the risk, I guess. Actually, as a matter of fact, that message that just came through was from my buddy in Michigan, and he was complaining that they could only have 25% capacity in their restaurants in Michigan. So if you seat 100 people, you can have 25 people in. Whereas here, if you seat 100 people, you can only have 10 people in. If you seat 40 people, you can have 10 people in. If you seat 250 people, you can have 10 people in, which I find a little obscure. I feel like it should be a be pretty easy to come up with uh, an algorithm of space to a person, like a square footage. But again, what the hell do I know? But that's some of the things that we cover talking to Chef Spencer Watts, a magnificently talented uh, chef and entertainer, host of Fish the Dish, Spencer's Big 30, Watts on the Grill. I think there might be others, maybe some uh, holiday series and whatnot. But I have loved this guy since the very beginning of Fish the Dish. He is absolutely one of my favorite celebrity chefs. He's, he's, he's got the stuff. If there's stuff that you can have, he's got it. He's just super entertaining. He jokes it up. He knows how to work the camera. He knows how to draw you in. And the dishes he creates are always something special, as was our conversation. So without further adieu, this is me talking to the marvelously talented... Chef Spencer Watts. How are things? Pretty good, you know? Um, Yeah, pretty good. Lots of good things to look forward to. Obviously, it's tough not to see family and friends and stuff like that. But And then some changes um, a a lot, especially being in the hospitality industry, too. Um, I did the menu development for a restaurant called Haven. Well, I was on the menu development team with another chef named Rory Higdon, who I've worked with for, oh, geez, 10 years. Um, So, you know, we had a, like, retrofit a restaurant that was a day away from opening, turn it into a takeout place, along with the help of the executive chef there. And, yeah, so it's been a little... A little interesting, but uh, you, that's what you do as a cook. You roll with the punches, right? You, you we're problem solvers by trait, so <laughs> always have you been. Know. Yeah, it's a bit of a nightmare yeah. right now, for sure. There's a lot of places that were uh, just scheduled to open, or they just took over a new facility. A friend of mine, you know, moved into mm. a huge eight thousand square foot facility on February twentieth, and uh, you know that's kind of a shock to the system. And that, now it's like, all right, you're you're a takeout place. Yeah. And especially it's crazy because like the fixed costs and all that stuff and like lots of restaurants are like put together, like, you know, you pull on so many strings and it's not like a restaurant opens and, you know, like, well, we've got a million in the bank to get us through the next three quarters. (laughs) It's like, you need to like 
start putting cash into the register and you know like uh, yeah that was the case with the the development i did with haven it was like you know they never got a chance to put a dollar through the till before it was like you made the responsible choice not to open it for the safety of of people and retrofit it to take out but yeah it, it can be like put a lump in your throat yeah. you know yeah no shit especially these small yeah. business owners right they're uh yeah huge rent mm-hmm yeah. yeah, like I said, those those costs are still there, and it's hard to like you know, especially if it wasn't meant to be a takeout. You know, takeout is just a, an added feature, but not part of that sit down experience where you like you know you rely on uh, food and beverage to to fill the seat and to fill the bill, right? And a lot of that comes from wine service and great you know artisan cocktails. And when you don't have that, it's like, especially in a business that's two to nine percent margin. Right. Yeah. Like yeah. it's like that, that'll make, that'll make you bite your nails for sure. Yeah. hundred percent. Are you guys, uh, you're in Vancouver right now, right? Mm-hmm. Are yeah. you guys allowing um, like liquor delivery and cocktail takeout? We've done a couple of those packages. So uh, and th- we're like back to back with a brewery that opened at the same time. And we're kind of like creating a bit of this culture in the corner. So you know, we have their beer and we're doing some campaigns where we would put their beer in a pack of uh, to, that you could come and pick up and order from the restaurant. But, uh, you know, for the most part, that restaurant wasn't designed to be a, a takeout restaurant. Right. You know, yeah. it was d- designed to come in like the room is wild, like the hallway to get down to the to the bathroom was just wallpapered on the ceiling and the walls. And it was like it's meant to like you go there for that right. full experience. Right. The ambiance, you yeah. know, the colors on the wall, the texture, the fabric, the food, the cocktails. It's like the whole thing, like when you sit down and you you're in Haven and you look around and you look at the bar and you read the menu, you go, yep, I totally know what we're doing. I totally get it. I totally get that concept. And that was part of that restaurant is to like the full package. Right. These restaurants are dropping whatever, 200,000, $400,000 for that experience. Mm-hmm. And then it's kind of like, Oh fuck. Now we can't offer that yeah. experience. But yeah. We still got to pay rent we, on it. Right. Right. And then you have to somehow put all of that experience into a cardboard box. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Right? And then, like, the tough thing is, is if you've never been to that restaurant before, that's going to be your your first experience. Right. Is, like, eating a chicken sandwich or, or, or like, a, or, an entree out of a cardboard. You don't get to see the big, crazy coop bowls that go along with the ambiance and the brand. And, like, you miss so much. But what do you do, right? And now those places have to compete with you know, family meal for twenty four ninety five at these other places or whatever, right? Because you don't have the right. audience. So Yeah. Yeah. I'm drinking but, wine but, just just to let oh. you know. It's later <laughs> here than it is there, so that's my yeah. excuse. <laughs> yeah, good for you, man. <laughs> I broke I'm it up. With you. Yeah. It's three thirty somewhere. <laughs> yeah. That's right. Yeah. Exactly. But uh no, I and like I said at the beginning, like you know, chefs and rent restaurateurs and stuff like we're we're um problem solvers so yeah 100%. the proverbial shit hits the fan what do you do you, you pick yourself up and you figure it out real quick yeah yeah and exactly. you try to reinvent the re, the reinvent the wheel right and and uh keep driving forward yeah some of the stuff people have been doing to uh pivot that's the big word right is uh mm-hmm. it's pretty creative pretty unique trying to stay alive yeah, yeah. and i think that's going to change the 
the market forever. I think a lot of people are going to figure out how to get a ton of revenue outside of the four walls. You know, and I, I think that's what, what a global pandemic would teach you in the restaurant industry is like, how can we like get income outside of the four walls, whether that's takeout, whether that's, uh, you know, like meal kit programs, whether that's like, it really makes you take a deep dive into like what the business is about, what can we offer and like uh, innovate, you know? Right. hundred percent. Yeah. And some really cool ideas are being uh presented in a lot of different places and like you, you see companies starting to make their own salts and stuff and then like filming little videos using the salts and then you're like well i definitely need that and you would, guy, you've never right yeah you would, guy, yeah <laughs> salt bay yeah but you would never think you you would never think of that if if every night there was uh, you know asses in the chairs paying the bills right you would right. That, that wouldn't that wouldn't cross your mind but you know yeah. um you're just getting service done every invention. night. And, yeah, 100%. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, exactly. So um, so let's talk about you a little bit. Um, sure. So your new cookbook, that's, uh, that's kind of the big thing you've got going on right now, I guess? Yeah, so I've had a love of seafood my whole entire life. Um, you know, ever since I was a kid, mm-hmm. we'd always be out on the water catching and fishing and, and having fun. And it's just something that stuck with me. And I've, I filmed television shows about it. And I, I just figured that if I, my first cookbook, I'd want it to be about seafood. And, um, and it's, it's awesome, man. Like the writing in it is really fun. It, it, it tells a little bit of a personal story. The recipes are delicious, you know, even uh, from like a light lunch, a simple pasta to some really modern seafood cooking. I think it, it crosses um, all bad boundaries with it so it's pretty exciting we're funding it through kickstarter right now because we want to kind of produce the book personally um and if you go to kickstarter and look for spencer watts you'll see my smiling face and there's a video there telling you kind of what the book is about and there's some um uh, sample chapters and recipes so it's really exciting and it feels like it feels like a greatest hits you know i've been i've been you know, I'm almost 40 and I went to culinary school when I was 18. So like to, to have this as my first book is like, there's a lot of greatest hits in there and a lot of recipes that I've made for years that just like, they right. can't go away because they're so good. They're so simple uh, and you know, anyone can cook them and they're just super effective. So um, I'm, I'm excited about how user friendly the book is going to be and how like kind of slightly inventive and fun it is. Yeah, that's cool. It's just called uh, seafood, right? Yeah. I think that's a pretty good gamut for it because um, there's a lot that can go into that category and um, uh, you know, yeah. That's awesome. Starts with an S. So (laughs) So was, uh, was fish the dish. That was your first TV series. Is that right? Yeah, it was. And I auditioned for that in 2015 and they auditioned a lot of people went coast to coast, but ended up having a good audition. And, you know, like seafood has been such a huge part of my life as a chef and especially being a a chef on the West coast of uh, British Columbia. Like that's, that's our wheelhouse, you know, like the spot prawn festivals and the, you know, the halibut season and the salmon seasons. It's like, you know, oysters and like the, you know, scallops and uni it's like it's super long and distinguished so um yeah maybe maybe that was a little help for me getting that television show but it was a great experience it's something i wanted to do for so long and auditioned for so long for i've been sending an audition days for years and must have heard you know a hundred no's before it was before it was a yes and uh it was like a dream come true and i felt like i was ready for it like 
like I was so mentally pumped for that series that when it came to like going on set and doing it, like I, I, I felt like I could take a hammer to it and, and I yeah. did. And it, um, yeah, it was like one of the best experiences of my life. And um, yeah, I got nominated for a James Beard award, won the James Beard award, uh, which was, you know, and you hear about the James Beard awards as a cook and you're like, it's like this fantasy thing. It'd be like right. going to the Oscars. You're like, that's never going to happen. And then it did. And it was like, you know, just it, it put more wood on the fire. That's for sure. Absolutely. Did you cry when you yeah. received it? I hope you cried. I'd I cried. Yeah. I, I was like, it was like, yeah, it was just such a big shock. And like, you know, like you say that thing where it's like you're nominated and you're like, well, you know, to be nominated is an honor. Like you just, it, it really is. Right. But then you right. win and you're like, Oh, what do I do now? Yeah. It's a whole different story. Uh, yeah. yeah. It's a whole different story. But I, you know, a lot of people went into that. It's not just me. Like there was the people on set and the writers and, you know, I was the host, of, you know, I was the tip of a very big iceberg and, you know, there's this great picture of Julia Child and it says it takes you know a ton of people to make somebody look great and it's her and she's on set filming her show but there's like five people underneath of her holding up pots and pans and it's like that's the perfect example because you know I'm the face and I and I'm selling the stuff and and I'm and I've got like a really good attitude and and I'm in love with what I'm doing but behind that there's so many other talented people and I think right. like everybody that came together on that show was like the perfect recipe, pardon the pun. And like that whole unit of people made that possible. Right, right. Yeah. So what were you doing uh, right before that? I assume you were cooking somewhere, you were exec yeah. chef or something? So or? yeah, my, um, uh, I was the executive chef of a place called Pastis. Um, and Pastis was like a French bistro, like a fine dining French bistro that had been in Vancouver for 15 years. And I had actually uh, stopped working there because I, I told John I'd worked with him for a couple of years and it was intense. He's a French owner. Like, like this is intense work, like two services a day, you know, everything from scratch, you know, your long braises, you know, the peel and the cook on the vegetables, very specific, you know, and, and you're working pretty hard and it's pretty busy. So I stopped because I wanted to pursue getting a television show again. And then like three weeks uh, after that, I found the audition for Fish the Dish. And so in that three weeks, I was helping uh, my friend named Nathan Wright. He was opening up an Osteria, so like an Italian cheese and wine bar. And he's such a good chef. Like we were making our own charcuterie, um, like again, all the sauces from scratch and all the breads. And it was like super fun. So I was, you know, doing the day to day with him to get this restaurant open. And that's when I got the phone call and I was at, um, I was at um, uh, that place when, when I got the call. Wow. So yeah. you, you just kind of were like, this is a seafood show and you thought hey, that's me. Yeah. So it was like, you know, are you a passionate chef or a home cook that's in love with seafood? And then right there, I was like, uh, yeah, this is me. Because I would constantly search. Like I would wake up in the morning and open my laptop and look for casting calls. And like I was actively, you know, pounding the pavement. I was actively looking for that and, and trying to audition and trying to do that. And I've been doing that for 10 years, you know. And I, I mean, the planets aligned. It was, I think it was meant to happen. It was, 
you know, obviously it was. And um, yeah, it's pretty crazy. Yeah. I remember hearing the words and like freaking out. Yeah. But they, they like, I immediately, yeah, yeah. I, I think uh, Kathy McIntyre, the producer was like, we're going to give you, we're going to give you a shot kid. And I just, uh, yeah, I lost it, man. Yeah. I think I drove to my parents' house. We got roaring drunk. <laughs> Nice. Yeah, because my parents have been there since the beginning, right? Since like culinary school and like, you know, like a, a career in the, in the hospitality industry isn't this glamorous thing. It was always like, so what are you going to do next? Mm-hmm. You know, it was, you know, right. it's like, what do you do? And you're like, I work at this crazy, you know, casual dining restaurant on the beach that does 500 covers. And I'm, what do you make? Oh, I make 12 bucks an hour. And they're like, oh, so <laughs> yeah. what are you going to do after that? And I'm yeah. like, no, this is it. You know, like, I think a lot of people in the industry, there's that stage of where it's like, what do you, what's the backup plan? Right. And for me, it was like, there is no backup plan. Like this is, this is what I'm going to do. And then, so like to see all of that kind of come to the surface and get that television show was like, you know, like 15, 16 years worth of work, you know? So was it always in your head, not that you wanted to be a chef, but that you wanted to be a, a, a television chef or a celebrity chef? Well, I had, I have always loved to entertain and I, I've never been a, a shy guy, um, but I won a competition in Vancouver called the Master Chef competition. We now know a television show called Master Chef and that wasn't anything to do with it. At this time in 2006, it was called Ma- the Master Chef and it was held in BC Place Stadium and, you know, like, 80 to 90 competitors every year. And I remember the guy had won it for three years in a row. And I had gone to the competition the year prior. Uh, you know, you lose one round, you're out. But then I ended up uh, beating him. And I went, ran in, in four days, I ran through 80 people, got to him and took the title away. And one of the perks of that was getting to go on breakfast television to recreate the winning dish. And that was part of the prize. I got like a 90 bottle wine cellar, this big trophy, and you get to go on television. Then when I went on television and I was there cooking and like on a set and looking at all the cameras and all the people, I just remember thinking to myself, this is really cool. Like I could do this. Like I, like uh, there's just something that happened that day that I was like, okay, this is sweet. Like TVs and food, that's like a thing. Sign and maybe I could like, yeah, maybe I could take like a, a really big swing at this. And then uh, uh, I did, like I filmed a little cable show on the Sunshine Coast. Um, and it was like, you know, we had a grocery store by the groceries for us. And uh, it was just like on Channel 11 for a very small community. And I remember like kind of cutting my teeth with that because I had liked uh, doing that breakfast television so much. And that, that's what really started it. I was like, I won that competition. I, they got to, I got to go on breakfast television. I was like, this is cool. I, 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 I can see myself doing this. Yeah, you could, you could feel it. Yeah. Did you have any uh, influence it. growing up? Was it, uh, you're almost 40. Well, I, so was it like Graham Care yeah, and uh, Walk With For Jan? sure. Like, like <laughs> the golden age of, of the cooking shows you know, like um, Bobby Flay, obviously, and the original Iron Chef and Julia Child and Walk With Yen, um, Ming Tsai, you know, like those guys where it was like, they take their craft seriously, they can entertain and the food show was about food. It wasn't a gimmick. It wasn't a fight. It was like, like the golden age of, of the cooking show. So 
for sure that was that was always a part of um a part of it and even growing up with my parents like on sunday we would watch the food network right whether it was mario batali malto mario um or julia child like i said it was like you know those were the shows where like halfway through you watching it you're like screw it i'm getting up to make pasta like peace you know you just <laughs> yeah. like that's right you yeah. know right like I, I don't do that a lot now if i'm watching like a competition show even though i think a competition show has its place but i'm never going to halfway through a competition show like get up and get super inspired to make something it's like you know watching like jamie oliver have a violent love affair with a piece of bread that i'm like yep Silver, I'm, right. I'm going in the kitchen. Yeah. Right, yeah. Yeah, it's almost yeah. Uh, pornographic. That's why they call it food porn, I guess, it, right? Yeah, yeah. So that definitely had something to do with it. And I remember those shows were, were amazing to watch. I, I loved them, yeah. Yeah, so what uh, So what did your parents do? Did, were they influential in the whole food thing? Did you guys, like, cook together? Or were they in the food industry? Doesn't sound like Yeah, that. for sure. So it's funny, my parents always introduced my brother and I to really good food, but you know, uh, dim sum at five years old, sushi at six. Uh, you know, I can remember my dad, you know, bringing home Dungeness crab and boiling them in the kitchen and serving it with melted butter on newspaper. And I was just always around and always exposed to really good food. I remember him taking us to the flea market because they did these little beef skewers with like a sweet soya with sesame and grilled them over char charcoal. And dude, I can rem I, like the food is great because it's such a time machine. I can remember that flavor. Like if I smell like burning meat with sweet soya on wood, I just like, like I pass out. <laughs> You're like, yeah, yeah. Papa, Dad, yeah. are we going to the flea market? It's so nostalgic. Um, it's ingrained into like every fiber, right? For sure. Right? Yeah, yeah. right, yeah. Or it's like if you smell shortcake, you're like, Nana, is that you? Yeah. You know, I, yeah. a lot, lots of food and smells are, are, are time machines. And, and for sure, when we were kids, like the exposure I got to food, I think played a huge part in it. And my mom, you know, made a, a barbecue sauce called Watts Barbecue Sauce. It's like an Indonesian-style peanut sauce that was um, – she sold it in a lot of grocery stores and there was a while when we were kids that our garage was like an industrial kitchen where she would boil the jars and make the sauce. And eventually um, a food company started making, making it for her because the orders just got too big. The company is now like um, she just makes it privately for friends who really like it. But there was a, there was a huge time there where my mom was making like industrial. industrial so when was that? Like what? Barbecues. what? It's like mid nineties. So like, I remember her doing like photo shoots in our backyard with it. And um, like her and my grandma, you remember you used to go to the grocery store and they have like the ladies doing the demos. Yeah. And then you could come up and like, they were at the back of the aisle and they're like doing like cheese and crackers or like <laughs> they, my grandma and my mom used to do that with the sauce and like these little chicken skewers and stuff like that. And, and yeah, did it for a while. And it was in like, I think close to like 40 big box grocery stores and had like quite a following locally. And like I said, I think it just got to the point where it, the production had to be taken over. So that's so industrious for like the mid nineties. Cause that's kind of yeah. right before the big entrepreneurial boom. Right. Mm -hmm. And for yeah. your mom to like do that out of the garage, that's crazy. Yeah, it was really cool. <laughs> so awesome. And the stuff, the stuff is delicious. And I've like obviously taken on, 
uh, that recipe and know it off by heart. But um, yeah, she still she still has some of her old big pots and kettles and labels and jars and still makes it to this day, but more as like a, like a, like a greatest hits thing, you know, like once in a while, the album will come back. And, you know, right, like, right. Nice. Yeah. It's, nice. it's more for, for fun now than anything, but yeah, like I, I th- it got to the point where my brother and I were wearing, you know, like Watts branded t-shirts and delivering it out of a van. And, and then, then we got into, I think paintball was, and she no longer wanted to make it in massive <laughs> batches. And yeah. Nice. Yeah. She was pimping you out with the shirts and everything. Go walk yeah, down the streets, yeah, yeah. give out samples, yeah, we're boys. F- we're fully branded. <laughs> yeah. Me and my brother driving exactly. around with sauce all over our face. <laughs> That's, nice. That's nice. That's yeah. nice. So, uh, so fish the dish started. You were super into it. You were super pumped, and you mm-hmm. are fucking awesome, by the way. Excuse the <laughs> French, but uh, <laughs> and no, I don't say that to everyone I talk to. But uh, I've I I said that way back to my wife because i i consume you know all of the food tv content I bet, and yeah. i was like this this cat's got the stuff or whatever you know oh, whatever thanks, it is man. i say i appreciate but, that well you've got so much uh i don't know what the kids are calling it now moxie yeah hey, that's a great it's a great word yeah. you got moxie but uh but that's your thing right you got a lot of pizzazz you throw in yeah comedy and it's well placed and it's right it's got a rhythm to it and it's so entertaining yeah. it's food thank you entertainment right because some some guys yeah. some guys and ladies um you watch them and wonder how why are they why are they there right yeah. i get it why aren't you on youtube you're on my television i'm paying right, for right, this right. channel and it's it's like i get the recipe it's good but like entice yeah. me and and say right. say more do more right there's a term that floats around called stand and stir and right. there's a couple people in this industry who had the opportunity to master their craft before they got in front of a camera and right. if you can if you have the ability to master like I'm a working chef for 20 years that's what I did right and then to like to be able to combine a bit of comedy and entertainment. Like that was my whole thing. Like my whole thing was like, I'm going to make this super fun and super entertaining. And I'm going to make fun of myself and I'm going to make fun of my family. And I'm going to throw out like, uh, you know, movie quotes and stuff like that. But then when it comes to the craft, that's going to be taken really seriously. Like the knife cuts and the cooking technique, Uh, you know, like, and, and, and so hopefully like a home cook, can watch that or any kind of cook can watch that and be like, I, I, I like this dude. I can do this. Right. Like he's having fun. It's funny. He's not taking himself too seriously, but what he just made was badass. Right. You know? So that was like the whole plan. And like, even like, you know, like watching television, sometimes you'll be watching television and be looking at your phone, scrolling through social media and watching, like you, you want to do five things at, at once. Right. And my idea was like, let's make it so entertaining that, that I don't go for my phone. Right. Right. You're just like, Spencer's on. If I, if I don't, if I don't keep my eyes open, he's going to do something, say something, you know, fall down. I'm going to miss something. Whatever. Right. So yeah. Kind of. Yeah. So that was my whole thing. Like if I'm going to attack this, I'm going to make sure when it comes down to, to the craft, it's honored, but then I'm going to have a, like a shitload of fun with it. Yeah. Yeah. And it, you know, yeah. it definitely comes through and, uh, you did a good job, whether it was you or the crew or the producers or whatever, but 
drawing people into the kitchen because not everybody does that i guess mm -hmm. kind of more like your stand and stir like you're talking about they're just you know they're yeah. kind of a, a one-dimensional host of the show but you'll do right. things like you know come here check this out look at this yeah you know kind of yeah and it really does draw you in right like oh i'm i'm, I'm in yeah. there with i'm in the kitchen with spence yeah and there was you know i had i had some pretty good teachers when i first started in television um and, you know, I worked with Matt West, a really great director who I still work with. And, you know, they taught me a lot. You know, obviously, Chris Knight had a huge part in that, uh, you know, because he's been in that game forever. You know, he had really great tips. But I'm the type of person who can, you know, take the best of, of things and compile that and put my own spin on it. So it wasn't just like I, I just walked onto set one day and was this master. Because, it's, because walking on set and filming a television show, it's like what you see is great because it's this great backdrop and you know, like the person's being entertaining and you're, and it, you know, like the camera's always moving, there's edits, it's, there's music, it's fun there. But from the other person's experience, like you're staring into, you know, 50 strangers and five cameras and it's not pretty and it's dead silent. And like, you know, so there was a lot of help there in the beginning stages and encouragement. And, and then eventually just, Spencer Watts became this thing and became like, it, it organically turned into like, you know, we would like do a take that was like, they have this saying is what's on the page is what's on the stage. And, you know, we do a take that was like exactly to script there. And then we, you know, if we had time, we'd do something funny and, and it just turned out like organically that funny one was always chosen because it was natural and it was human. And like, I don't mind messing up and I don't mind like, poking fun at myself or if something doesn't work, you just keep going on. I think that's, that gives it a human touch as well. So, yeah, you know, I think that's part of the draw in, like you're saying, it's like people can resonate that because it's, because it's funny. If you hold something up to the camera, you're like, you mm -hmm. want to come in closer and, you know, to make it human is a nice way to pull people in as well. Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. Actually, yeah. uh, Rob Rainford, was telling me about his his first days on his set of uh, License to Grill. And he said it was kind of like everybody wants you to drive this bus and you don't have a license yet. <laughs> he said it was yeah, so raw. That's a great analogy. Practice in front of the mirror and everything. And then day one, you're shooting and there's all these people looking at you. And, mm -hmm. you know, he said it doesn't it's, always come as naturally as people think. Yeah. And it's it can be a terrifying experience. I remember there was like one moment on Fish the Dish where we were like, I think the director yelled cut and we had to reset something. And I just quietly said to myself, I'm like, all right, you could get in a cab now, swing by the place, get your stuff and probably be on the next flight. You know, like I was like, I'm getting out of here. Like, yeah. this is like the pressure of it. And, and you know, like, yeah, like Rob Rainford said, like, here's the semi truck you know, whatever his analogy was, or here's this bus. It's like, yeah. it's, it's totally like that. You really got to like, you got to go for it. Right. Yeah. So was that yeah. day one you had to cross your mind? Like, let's, let's bail. Uh, maybe day three. <laughs> yeah. Day three was like, because it has to be for. Thank you. Froze. When you're... Oh, hello. Yeah. You froze there for just about five seconds. I gotcha. It says my internet connection is unstable. Is it good now? Yeah, you're good. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know where it was. Uh, you were talking about driving the bus was the last thing that you said. Oh, right. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I, I don't think it was uh, uh, the, the first episode, but it was a couple of days in because it's like, 
yeah, you have like these one minute gaps to do a lot of dialogue and, and it's like, it, it has to flow for me. It has to flow perfectly. Like the food needs to work out. The dialogue needs to work out. The joke needs to work out. And if you can't do that in succession, then the whole, the, that whole gap, that whole block doesn't work. And so like, if you screw that up a couple of times and you have to, then you start getting in your own head and you have to get reset. And then the cameras have to get reset and you got to get new product brought up. And then it's like, you can, you can like get inside of your own head like that. But you know, um, after doing Fisher dish season one and Fisher dish season two and Watts on the grill, we decided to do a, a show called Spencer's big 30. And in and on fish, the dish, like, you, like I said, you film in about, 45 second minute and a half blocks before there's a jump cut, a visual essay, yeah. uh, you know, a wide shot or a close up of something cooking. But on Spencer's Big 30 was like, I cook for 30 minutes. Right. Like, it, it's the real deal. Right. You know, we do like one pass where it was 30 minutes and then like we would film in nine minute blocks, no stopping. And like, you need to really be prepared for that. And that's like a, the, you know, the moment I wanted to get in the cab is like when that all doesn't flow right. and it gets broken up, that's when you can like really get inside your own head and want to jump in a cab. Yeah. hundred <laughs> percent. Yeah. Nine minutes yeah. doesn't sound like a long time, but to talk and make it no. talk and have the jokes and everything. Yeah. Right. You know, yeah. And get the cameras to get everything. It's, it's yeah. Yeah. It can definitely yeah. be, uh, be tough. So mm -hmm. what did you have? Was it just two seasons of fish the dish? Yeah, it was two seasons, uh, two really great seasons. But I think one of the great things about a cooking show is you want it to be obtainable and you want it to resonate with a big group of people. And I think if we were to do a season three of Fish the Dish, we would have had to start exploring some things that weren't 100% accessible to a lot of people. So you start pulling in sea urchin and, you know, massive octopus and you know butchering sturgeon like how can that resonate with a big group of people or is that just for a select group of people you know and i think the great thing about the gusto shows and shows like fish the dishes they're they're attainable you can watch them get super inspired go to the grocery store and in 25 minutes you're like yeah dude i'm making this poke yeah. um so yeah. I, so i think that's why there was an organic and to fish the dish because you know you're just going to start repurposing old ideas and it was like it was fresh it was beautiful and i think we captured everything that we need to capture in uh 26 episodes well this is the question i always had like because i was talking to chris and he said they've actually got a pretty good sized translation from people going from the show to their website to check out the recipe which yeah, is, an sure. is an assumption that they're going to make the food but I've always yeah. wondered that, you know, you've got guys like uh, Bourdain and Zimmern and stuff out eating the weird stuff. Mm -hmm. So is there, not a, is there not a good size market for people wanting to see it as just entertainment, knowing that, okay, I'm not going to go get sea urchin, but I want to see you cook yeah. it. Or they just want to see people eat it, right? I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, I think there is a huge market for that. And, uh, you know, that's why I think those those are broken up into concepts. You have like lifestyle, which is like you're in a fixed location. Here's the oven, here's the stove, here's the guy or girl, and here's the product. And then you have like those shows where like, um, 
you just sit down with your mouth open and watch Anthony Bourdain eat spicy noodles and drink a Diet Coke and a beer, and you're like, oh, <laughs> I want to get spicy noodles. Yeah, exactly. You know, like, yeah. yeah, like anytime I watch Anthony Bourdain, I don't necessarily want to get up and cook, but do I want to go for dim sum and have a cold beer right now? Like, 100%. we're going now. Yeah. So I think there's like, um, different ways of looking at it and different ways to get inspired. But, you know, like I said, you know, I like watching cooking shows that are like that lifestyle basis because it's entertaining. Like watching Jamie Oliver is entertaining. He's so good at what he does. He's right. fluid. He's got really great ideas. He's captivating and stuff like that. And that's really good to just sit down and watch and be like, oh, you know what? Maybe next weekend I'll do a roast. And then you watch Anthony Bourdain. And you're like, we're leaving to get spicy noodles. Right. And then like half of that, you know, like half of the beauty of Anthony Bourdain shows it's a visual feast. Right. As well as a feast uh, for the belly. And you can just like the backdrops of all those shows and stuff like that are just as captivating as the content. Right. That they're filming. And then it all has to do with beauty and food porn. So. Yeah, yeah, and it's yeah. it's it's poetic. I mean, he was literally it a is. poet. What a great, what a great word. Yeah, yeah. So like, and it's the the food itself. Everything was very poetic about it. So, uh, mm -hmm. but no, and I get it. I get it. Talks. I've gained a few pounds too watching Bourdain. So, yeah, yeah. You're like, I need spicy noodles in my life right now. And the the great thing about that is like, you know, everywhere he goes, you know, those ingredients and the places that he's reaching and their regional stuff is so tasty. You know, you know, it's been around for hundreds of years and I can't tell you how many times I've left the house halfway through no reservations to go get right. spicy noodles, man. you right, know, or right. like, yeah. Or it's, or it's 4am and you just make spaghetti and put chili sauce on it. <laughs> Fuck it yeah. hundred percent. Yeah. Fried egg. Call it a shift. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that's it. That's that's what it and is. And then you've got like those like like just piece like masterpiece shows like Chef's Table on Netflix where you're just like where you're sitting there in awe and you're like re you're contemplating your entire life while you watch these guys and these guys and girls and their elements and you're I, just like in awe of it. it it's the only time I'm not like really a jealous person, but I get I know. jealous on those shows, right? The concepts and the, you know, the art and the creativeness. And I go, mm -hmm. what the fuck am I doing wrong? How come I, I can't think of anything like that? You know? Right. And it's like that, like anyone can learn to cook. And if you put enough time in it, like this is what I have always found dangerous about the, uh, in, in, about the industry. And I've, I've competed at the World Culinary Olympics and the World Culinary Masters in Basel, Switzerland. And anyone can learn to cook. And if you're obsessed enough, you can perfect your craft. But it's the creativity that that's the only time that that pisses me off when somebody else has thought of it first. Or like, yeah. it's, it's when like you come across a really beautiful mind. And then in shows like Chef's Table, like you're saying, I'm the same way. It's like the only time I'm like, Oh my God! You how did you think of that? Like, yeah. oh, you got there first. It's like watching Neil Armstrong walk on the moon every thirty minutes. Yeah, you know, you're like Jesus. <laughs> yeah. and, but it's so beautiful, right? It, it, right. And you got and there's nothing you can do but like raise your hand and bow out. You know, right. like you just got to be like, all right, slick. You smoked it. It's it's yeah. over.
I'm not, yeah, I'm not, uh, I'm not worthy. And I'm, I'm 51, yeah, right? I 51% admire you and I 49% hate you right now. Yeah. Hate you. Yeah. I, th <laughs> yeah, I think you're an absolute genius. I want to fight you. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. exactly. Yeah. yeah. But you got to give it up, man. And then that comes from like, you know, standing on the shoulders of giants and, and if you want to learn to hunt, you got to go where the lions live. And, and when, when, when a cook does that, you just, you have nothing but respect, man. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. Um, so tell me about the Food Olympics in Switzerland. <laughs> yeah, that was cool. That so, um, yeah, um, I was the executive chef of a, of, a, of a resort called the Painted Boat Resort in Pender Harbor on the Sunshine Coast. And the president of the Canadian Chefs Association um, had a summer home up there. And he found the resort randomly on his motorbike. And he came in and had dinner and he didn't tell anybody who he was. And I guess he was impressed with his meal because he came back with the manager of the team again and they ate again. And then one of the ladies said, uh, one of the servers came back and said, Bruno Marty's here. He wants to talk to you. I know who Bruno Marty is because he's like a Canadian food icon. And I was like, Oh, what? And then I went out there and, um, um, yeah, and then he said, listen, we're leaving for the Culinary Olympics in 100 days. Do you want to come and be a support member? And I said, no, <laughs> just kidding. Like, I, you know, I freaked out and I was like, yeah. yes. And uh, we had to do a little fundraiser so I could pay for myself to get there. But in turn, I would experience two weeks in, 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 in Erfurt, Germany uh, at the culinary olympics and so i did and i went and it was two weeks long and the team placed uh second we got a silver medal wow and then we came home and then a year later they were like listen once every six years they hold this competition in switzerland called the the world culinary masters in basel would you like to be a core member and i said no <laughs> just kidding <laughs> i totally said yes and wow. so um, being uh, on being a core member this round, I got to design my dishes and perfect them. And, you know, we would do 24 hour meets at that BC play stadium, because that's how long you were going to be up for. You're going to be up for about 24 hours doing your cooking and your plating to get it and do that. And that was wild, man. I learned more about food in the four weeks that I did those two competitions than the last 10 years of my life. And like it, it changed the way I thought about food. It changed the way I looked about food. It changed my cooking technique. Like the transformation I made after those two competitions was like, like I was in a rocket ship, man. I went from like braising short ribs to like making edible pumpkins. Like, it, you know, like it was that kind of a shift. And so much so that I went like way too far down the rabbit hole. Like I, I just went to this space where I was like making edible beaches that were questionably tasty, <laughs> you know, like it was so much technique and so much insanity. And you're like, okay, I'm going to eat this edible beach, but it's like, it's half good. And then like, and then I, I eventually transitioned to making beautiful, technically dazzling food that was ridiculously delicious, but it, it, it forever changed how I viewed food in a professional setting. Yeah. Well, working with that, that level, right. Working with that level of talent, I guess mm -hmm. it's always going to bring you up. 
Yeah, and a lot of those things, it's 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 like if you don't know how to do it and nobody shows you, like they're not writing that stuff down in a book, like like some of the chemicals and stuff like that. Like, I mean, Fair and Audrea finally came out with a book and like everybody on the planet had to figure out how to do drop spheres and stuff like that and how to do caviars out of not fish eggs. But that was the great thing about competing is because you're like in, for, uh, in a little VIP club for a while and you're having these really great cooks show you how to do these things. And otherwise you would, there's no way that you would learn them. They're not in a book. They're like, they're like these little secret culinary secrets. And, and um, that's what was the big thing for me. It was working. And I've always thought my entire career is like working with dope cooks is the best thing for you. It makes you better. Right. Like anytime I see somebody who's better than me or has a skill set that's like a wide, wider range of stuff, like I get excited. That's where I'm like, okay, we're going to work, man. But, you know, like, yeah. You know, you don't see Tom Brady run out in the field and play a bunch of 11-year-olds. <laughs> you know, he, he's he's playing against the best and that's what you want to do. That's how you get better. I'd, <laughs> I'd pay to see Brady go play a bunch of 11-year-olds. Yeah. What was the score? It was 159 to 3. Yeah, they're, they're yeah. all crying. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But uh, no, it's like, like you said, like you get around that caliber if you have an open mind and, and uh, uh, yeah, you can take on a lot of knowledge. And boy, do, boy did I ever do that. Yeah. Yeah. So, so the last show that you produced was uh was the big 30 uh the the last one we filmed was season three of spencer's big 30 and season two of watts on the grill which uh was airing new episodes this summer at the end of this summer yeah okay yeah so is watts on the grill are are either of those going to continue or is that uh i don't know i i don't I don't know if, if maybe the barbecue one, but that's very specific. You can't film an outdoor barbecue show in winter. So yeah, it's not an evergreen series, right? It's not an evergreen series. And uh, you know, we've done a lot of that content too. So maybe there's another show out there for Spencer Watts. Um, but honestly, I feel so lucky and so fortunate to get to do what I've done so far to do almost, you know, a hundred episodes of prime television sold in 65 countries in the world uh i mean i could die a happy man you know like uh, you know and that's why i started my own company bots entertainment is because i want to continue to do that and you're on set you know maybe for a couple months at a time but there's that big gap in the middle where you're not and uh you know that's why i still want to feed youtube channels and and social media so that because there's such a big audience around the world that there's somewhere they can go to. There's a website for Spencer Watts. You can watch Spencer Watts on YouTube. You can follow me on social media and still get inspired. So uh, whether or not we do another Watts on the Grill or Spencer's Big 30, I just want to um, continue to make great content, inspire people to get in the kitchen and have a ton of fun doing it. Right. So how does that translate now, especially with the pandemic to you making a living because you're if you're a content creator you know you're not a mm -hmm. youtuber you're a mm -hmm. you're a television star <laughs> in my books yeah but, I, uh, I think a lot of people but yeah i think a lot of people who are on youtube want to be on television and a lot of people who are on television want to stay right you know it's not like you're going like oh god i just want to be a, 
I just want to get on YouTube. But I think those those places are great. Like the fact that somebody in New Zealand who is a fan of Fish the Dish who watched all the episodes can just go on YouTube and then pull up a hundred of these really nicely edited videos. I think that's amazing. I think if you were to take that out of your vocabulary, you'd be pretty silly to do that. And, right. you know, so I want to do all of it. I want to, you know, I, yeah, I want to create content for online stuff. I want to create more television shows. I, you know, I'd love to be on more streaming services. I, I want to, I want to do it. I really enjoy it. And I, 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 I want to be on all flat platforms you, don't, you never want to become a dinosaur you always want to be open to absolutely everything and if like if the world is taking this to a different place like you know i'm watching tiktok videos right now that like everything that i'm good at is taken out of the equation like you don't have to talk you don't have to be able to chop and like really do like a really nice intense dice while you're talking while you're you know like looking up looking at the in camera engaging it you don't have to do that anymore Right. It's like everybody has their own television show and it's in their pocket in the form of a phone. And some people got 10 million subscribers, you know, like, so the landscape is changing and, and yeah, if you're not open to doing all of it, you know, th that fear of becoming a dinosaur sets in. Yeah, it does for sure. And it, it scares me a little bit. I mean, I've got teenagers, older teenagers and the food videos they watch are an entire meal inside of kind of the one minute that Instagram allows, right? Yeah. 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 And they've, they've Here's done everything. Here's a turkey, bang, it's cooked. What? Okay. Huh. Yeah. You know, like, right. and if, you, if you're to talk to guys like Chris Knight or, you know, guys from the Food <clears throat> Network, you're like, everybody stop. Like, how did the turkey get there? What did we do to the turkey? You know, like, it goes against a, a lot of things that a lot of creators of television shows go against like it's yeah you know there's no relevance we don't know how we got here in 20 seconds you've done a four-hour cook on a bird that now has a sauce with unexplainable ingredients and that you know like and 10 million people watched it so and they think that's amazing my daughter's 16 and right she's forever doing these little things right going uh, i'm gonna make this and i'm like no you're not because oh it looks yeah. really easy because they did it in a minute right and yeah. then she spends two and a half hours going, it's, this is messed up. I can't do it. Yeah. Yeah. That's because yeah. there's I a mean, lot I, of edits. Yeah. And I don't, like, I'm not knocking it because I think there's a place for that. And I think if, 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 you, if there's, and there's an audience for it, but it's just a little different than what I'm used to. And it, it happens, it's happening really rapidly. And if like, if that's your thing and you can get on it, that's, that's really great, but it, it is just, it's just a little different. Like somebody called me the other day and said, you got to watch this TikTok. And I feel like I totally could make hollandaise. And then I watched a 30 second TikTok of this hollandaise being made. And I'm like, well, you have been set up to die in a fire here. <laughs> you know, like this is a, this is an entertainment piece. This is not fundamental uh, cooking techniques right. in 30 seconds. It doesn't like, yeah. Well, we missed the whole Sabayon and the clarified butter thing. Like we just went from blender to poached eggs. Like we, we, yeah. we missed, yeah. We missed two years of culinary school there and about, <laughs> yeah. you know. Yeah. And, and yeah. enjoy your hollandaise because you're probably going right. to get food poisoning. Right. It's unseasoned. The yolk took on not enough fat, you know, like, yeah. but I, I can never like wag a finger at that or poke fun at it because that's, you know, if that's an avenue where I can head or, or, 
you know, get on board, reinvent it or be a part of it. Like that's always going to be in the back of your mind, but some of it, you're just like, yeah, yeah. It's, I hope that's and, not how the future generation lives to cook. What bothers me, and there's a little bit of irony in here, but uh, what bothers me is kind of the the facelessness of it. Uh, there's mm-hmm. something about this newer generation that the, they don't like to see faces, right? Yeah. Um, even some of the bigger guys. And the reason I say there's some irony is because I I just did a couple of these for social media where it's like yeah. here down, you know, yeah. realizing that not a lot of people want to spend a lot of time looking at this mug, right? So, yeah. so I did a couple of these for social media from here down and I'm watching yeah. it and, you know, my wife and my daughter's like, Oh, it's, it's good. And my wife said, it's good. And I'm like, I, I hate it. I'm, I'm yeah. offended by myself because yeah. there's something personal, especially you, you're personable yeah. and you're personal and you're like, I'm Spencer. Nice to meet you. Come on into my kitchen. Let's cook something yeah. together. Right. Mm-hmm. And there's and, a story uh, behind it and there's like, there's feeling and emotion. And, right. Yeah. Rather than just a set of hands, you know, going like mm-hmm. this and, you know, <laughs> I, I, yeah, I always joke that the yeah. kids are going to take an onion, snap their fingers above it and go, why isn't the onion diced? Yeah. Why isn't it diced? Or, yeah. or they do this and go, oh, why isn't everything cooked? Right. Yeah. So, uh, because they can, if you film them dicing a pepper it's going to look like a like a homicide like a, that that can't be filmed like yeah. there's 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 probably reasons for it like why are a lot of videos popular with nobody's talking and telling you what it's going because it's hard right it's hard to cook your ass off and explain what you're doing and be engaging and like make it look easy and timeless it's like right you know, Michael Jordan looks super sweet on the court, but I've tried to play basketball and I look <laughs> silly. You know, it's like one of those things that you just like, it looks so effortless when you see it, yeah. but then you get on a court and try to play basketball with, I'm not comparing myself to Michael Jordan, but I'm just saying there's, there's people out there that are that good that when you go and try and do it, you're like, Oh, okay, well we can film the basketball going in the net, but we can't film me with the ball ball, yeah. you know? <laughs> right. Right. It's like that concept. It's like, you know. Yeah. Yeah. And with, with food, I think those one minute videos, a lot of these younger people don't realize that was four hours, maybe. Yeah. hundred percent. Maybe longer to get that one yeah. minute of content. Yeah. And it's a full time job. And I think that's what, uh, um, you know, a lot of it's work and you got to give it to some of these YouTubers and some of these guys on TikTok making food videos and stuff like that who have in the millions of subscribers and like, that's no easy task, man. You can't just get on, regardless what you want to say about the content, that is 100% elbow grease. There's no special pill that you can swallow to become a YouTuber. There's no special algorithm that you can purchase to become a TikToker. Like it's elbow grease and it's building content and it's building the hours and it's engaging with the followers and it's constantly doing it. And you have to give that props. You know, like it's it's a full time business. Like I did a little TikTok video, um, and it was just I called it like the breakfast. It was like me making a coffee and toast and a fried egg, and it was like it was done in sixty seconds. And that took me all day to edit it and upload the upload the content and and match it together and put it to the sound. And like it's you can't you know you can't dog the elbow grease. Oh, 100%. And, and the work that goes into it. I can sit here all day and say like, oh, am I a fan of the content? But I know what it takes to like get a monetized channel and monetize your your brand or whatever. And that takes nothing but elbow grease. Yeah, absolutely. A few Christmases yeah. ago, 
uh, I was going to play with a couple with my daughter because she was into them. And we were going to make a uh, we did a hot chocolate video, like one of the hand yeah. style. Oh, cool. Uh, you know what? I went out and actually we started and I'm like, this isn't working. So I went out and built a, like a stand for the camera to hang above. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, yeah, you got to You got to be prepared. It's, it's a minute and 33 seconds, I think. And it took us probably seven hours with me building that friggin' thing and getting everything right to do that one video. Never yeah. used it again. Just made the one video. But yeah. it was like we're doing a We're doing a Vimeo podcast right now. And I know you're probably not going to use the, the video footage, but I have a light on me and three people making lunch. Like, you know, you got to take right. it seriously. Yeah. You know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I look terrible and I'm actually lit because I was looking at it and I'm like, oh, yeah, okay, no, we're not going to use the video, but, well, you know, yeah. you don't have this yet, right? But there's, <laughs> you got to, well, the bald spots shining a yeah. light. Right. You yeah, but it's, more you know, you do, um, like anything like that and it, and it looks so easy and it, it's back to that analogy and then you go and try and do it and you're like, oh man, I need a tripod. I need a light. Like I need to reserve three hours of my day to do this. And we need to like come up with a schedule. And it's not like, you know, those people that are really successful with Instagram and building a brand or YouTube or TikTok is like, that stuff's planned out, man. When 100%. I do my, when we do our YouTube stuff, like we do it for weeks on end, you know, yeah. we'll shoot 50 videos in a one block. And like, if it's July, we think about like, what are we doing for Valentine's Day? What are we doing yeah. for Christmas? And that, what are we doing for Halloween? And that's pre-filled and that's thought about and put into an exercise and into a calendar. And like, it's, it takes a little bit of work and planning. So much that goes into it and sound, sound, so many people don't realize sound is a nightmare. You yeah. Know, trying to get, trying to get good sound and, you know, are you spending the money on the Sennheiser lav mics or are you, yeah. you, know, you got it going into a zoom or is it going into an audio interface or whatever? Mm -hmm. And somebody needs to monitor it potentially if you really want it to work out or you do a whole set, yeah. then you listen to it and go, ah, oh, shit, something happened yeah. halfway between and you lost all that sound. Right. Yeah. We got to so. reshoot. Yeah. We, we got to reshoot it. Limes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah oh, exactly. No. We're out of limes exactly can't reshoot it yeah. yeah for sure but uh yeah that's that's what a lot of people don't realize it's even the girls you kind of got to give them credit i don't know how much i agree with that having a teenage daughter but you know they're they're kind of doing this and they have 30 million followers yeah. on, on tiktok or whatever yeah i think somebody said to me they're like is it the talentless talent show and i'm like it's you know like you can't <laughs> Like I, it's, I never want to be one of those people who like knocks the generation coming up because I think that's totally inappropriate. You just, right. need, you need to get on board, but like, you know, like I, I, I don't know what it's like to have kids of that age and stuff like that, where you're looking at as, as a father going, um, are these good role models? Right. Right. You know, like, is that something that ever crosses your mind when you watch some of the content? Oh, a hundred percent. I have, uh, yeah. I talked to my daughter, she's 16 and even she says, well, that's, that's not right. That's not great. She's pretty good that way, right? Okay, that's cool. But uh, but some of them, and it's it's a weird time because I'll watch them, and you know, it's these girls that are, I don't know how old they're teenage girls, but then there's like a bunch of them doing a whole dance troupe thing, right? And they're, they're talented, but this yes. is a, this is a time where I go, uh, I probably shouldn't be watching that. It's because my daughter will say, "What's well, creepy that you're watching that?" 
Yeah. But they're not in bikinis. It's like they're doing like a, a street punk dance troupe thing. Right, right. But it's a weird time that way because I'm a bald yeah. white guy. I'm just always creepy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Any situation, hey, I'm creepy. You, you, hey, even those videos, man, probably took a long time to learn those dance moves and, you know. Oh, super talented, a lot of them, right? Yeah. You know, like big yeah. time. And then especially. some people just get lucky, you know. Some people yeah. just, you hit yeah. that mark and it all changes. Yeah, hundred yeah. percent. So, with the uh, the cookbook, so yeah. you're doing Kickstarter because you guys decided to produce it yourselves. Yeah. Um, you're offering a whole bunch of stuff, right? You've got. Yes. I was looking There's through a... it, picking what I was gonna. You know, am I gonna get the apron or yeah. like a signed T-shirt thing? And mm -hmm. there's tons of uh, tons of rewards uh, that you can get from online cooking classes with kids online cooking classes with adults, there's sign books, there's uh, digital books, there's book packages, there's personal shout outs. Uh, I'll even specify a recipe. Like if you're like, Hey man, this is what, like I, you know, this is my signature, <laughs> you know, I'll take that on and film the video about it. Um, stuff that I normally don't do, but I think is fun to once in a while offer like a VIP experience. And um, yeah, so we wanted to, make sure some of that stuff was in the, in the Kickstarter campaign. We limited it. So it wasn't like I had to do, you know, 350 zoom classes. Right, um, yeah. But uh, there, you know, there is some of the, those great rewards available. Yeah. Yeah. Kickstarter is probably a good uh, platform for that. I never really thought about launching, you know, a cookbook. I don't know. Has that been done a lot or is that, are you a hundred percent? Yeah. That's it, a yeah. big part of it. Books are, are, are a big part of it. And some really successful books have been made and um, yeah, we're looking forward to getting it funded and, and um, getting it out to the people. Cause I know it's been a long time coming a seafood cookbook from me and um, it's something I believe in. And yeah, my first one, super exciting. Yeah. Yeah. It's wicked exciting. I can't yeah. wait to get a hold of mine actually. Um, yeah. I didn't see, I didn't see like an option for like Spencer Watts will clean your house for a week or. Yeah. Yeah. They're, yeah. It's at the very back. It's a, it's yeah. a, yeah. I stay for a week. I'll take the kids to school Yeah, and make a hell of a breakfast. Yeah. That's the $15,000 option. That? Yeah. Yeah. How much is it? It's 15 grand a day. Yeah. It's 15,000. Literally do the laundry. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's perfect. <laughs> what? Yeah. Um, so in terms of your content right now with like what's on the grill and big 30, where are those mm -hmm. consumable? Where are, uh, it's big Man. 30 on gusto. Yes, it's on gusto. gusto. Yeah. Um, it's, you know, that's, um, bell media. So you can find that a lot on the bell channels and then, um, gusto, depending on what your provider is. And, um, and then they sell those shows and, um, close to 70 countries in the world. So depending on where you are in the world, you can watch it. And uh, I know Crave uh, has a lot of my content on it. I know there's Fish the Dish. I know there's Spencer's Big 30. Um, so there's still still a lot of places you can consume um, my content. And then, you know, like every year the Christmas specials come around and every summer the barbecue shows are out. So um, it's kind of like I'm always floating around. You are always floating around and your eggnog yeah. video, by the way, as it was just a little, you know, just a little what social media snippet, but yeah, it was so perfectly produced and so entertaining. Thank I've you. watched it like 17 times. I kept watching it over <laughs> and over and over again. It's really good. Yeah. We like to have a lot of fun and that's why, uh, 
uh, Matt West, Kathy McIntyre, and myself started that um, media company, not to compete with anybody, but just like I said, uh, you know, to make content. So all the people around the world who like Spencer Watts, who want to smile, who want to get inspired, there's a place to go other than what channel are you on? What time? Because that stuff's not really up to me. They, you know, um, that's up to somebody else. But what's up to me is is creating a home for Spencer Watts. And the platforms that work really well for us are, are my own website. And we have recipes attached and every recipe has a video. And then YouTube is a perfect place uh, to consume content wherever you are in the world. Right. And uh, your stuff's on spencerwatts.com, right? Yep, Chef Spencer Watts uh, com, Chef Spencer Watts on YouTube, Chef Spencer Watts on Instagram, and um, Chef Spencer Watts on Facebook. Perfect. Anything yeah. else you uh, you want to say? Anything else you want to shout out to? No, I just want to thank you and be a you're you're a really great host and thank you for having me. And this is my first podcast, and I couldn't <laughs> have had a better experience, man. That's good. I, I, I popped your podcast yeah. cherry. I'm, I'm proud of that. Yeah. Thank you so much. No, it's great. I, I would, I would do it again with you in a heartbeat, man. Yeah. Awesome. I'll contact you in uh, six months then. <laughs> yeah. Okay. We'll just talk about moon landings and stuff like that. Yeah, Did perfect. it happen? Absolutely. Yeah. Actually, I'm talking to uh, Bob Kramer tomorrow. For some reason, I'm nervous about that one. Kramer oh, knives. Really? Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. So, cause I'm yeah. used to talking to chefs and celebrity chefs and he's like, the world's foremost bladesmith. Yeah. So I'm not even... Well, that should be fun. It should be, but you know, like, yeah. I'm, I'm a I'm a kind of a junior knife enthusiast, but mm -hmm. I don't know exactly what to talk to him about. Right? Maybe so, this will change your entire outlook on life. It might be, so <laughs> yeah. hopefully I don't I mean, stumble. I think of... I think of, um, if you're going to have a bladesmith on, he's probably going to have a ton of interesting stuff to say. I would think so. Yeah. If you get to if you get to that point where you're a bladesmith and you're making that kind of quality knives, I'm I'm sure the stories are endless. I would think so. Yeah. Yeah. One hundred percent. Yeah. Hopefully, we'll we'll find out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, man. I really appreciate you coming on. And brother, uh, thanks for having me, man. Yeah, we'll uh, we'll talk to you soon. Be good. Keep uh, keep up the good work. Okay, brother. Thanks so much, and uh, happy cooking, dude. What a good guy, that Chef Spencer Watts. Talented on uh, on many levels. So be sure to check out his new cookbook. Uh, go to chefspencerwatts.com for more information. And to reserve your copy, I believe it's just through Kickstarter. That's how I did mine, so uh, I am anxiously awaiting my copy. Seafood's always tough. I mean, even good chefs, if you don't work in a seafood restaurant or you're not you don't live on a shoreline, you don't have a lot of experience with seafood, it's tricky. A lot of people don't like to cook it at home because, I mean, you can very easily overcook it, but you need to know how to cook what. Sometimes it falls apart. You know, some things have to be cooked more than others. So there's there's a lot to it. And I'm excited about this cookbook. And no, I'm not just saying that. I've been a fan of his since before the podcast even, so... I am very excited. On a COVID note, it's crazy to think of people spending hundreds of thousands of dollars to retrofit their restaurant. And I've heard a ton of stories, you know, of just before the pandemic hitting, 
restaurants that were either new or renovating or updating, spending tons and tons of money. We're talking about small businesses. Just because they're spending tons of money doesn't mean the owner necessarily has it unencumbered to get rid of. Sometimes it's on loans. Most of the time, it's in hopes that that money is going to recoup itself from the people coming in the door. And that money is largely spent on atmosphere, the vibe of the place. So it's crazy to think spending that kind of money and then the pandemic crushes you. And like he said, trying to trying to get that experience, that atmosphere, the vibe of the restaurant and put it into a cardboard box because you're only allowed to do takeout. Because let's face it, at 25% capacity or at only 10 people like we can have here in a restaurant, that's tough. That is tough to pay the bills. I think there's some government help, but but from what I've heard, there's not enough. So it's really, really hard on these uh, these small independent businesses, restaurants particularly. So make sure you go out. You know, don't order from these big delivery, you know, companies because they take a huge chunk. And my friends that own restaurants say that pretty well they make nothing if uh, if somebody's using one of these larger scale delivery companies. That's all of their profit out the window. So go pick it up if you can and leave a Google review. And if you have a bad experience, maybe don't leave a bad review right now. Wait till the pandemic's over because everyone's struggling. Everyone's trying. Contact the place for sure. Let them know. But let's have a little bit of compassion for people that are working every day, struggling. Let's not jump to rake them over the coals right now. And if you hear an air raid siren, don't act immediately. Take a breath. Look around because it might just be a car wash. (laughs) Some exciting episodes coming up for you. I have Chef Jacques Pepin. If you are in the food industry, you know who Jacques Pepin is. He is a legend. He's 85 years old, still grinding it out. I am wicked excited to talk to him next week. That episode will probably be out in about three weeks. And uh, as promised, we've got Bob Kramer coming up, Chef Massimo Capra. Very exciting stuff. But that's it for me. I'm going to go make a cup of tea, relax, knowing that the world's not ending quite yet. Remember to be good to each other, and I'll talk to you soon.